If you can hear this message, listen closely. To the exiled, misunderstood, or upside down, this is your message of hope. When problems come, use them. When enemies persecute you, love them. These struggles are a fire, refining you into gold. Look around. You are not forgotten. You are not alone. Challenge what is expected of you. This world is not your home. You are different. Good morning. It's a great privilege to be here, and uh, I know lots of folks have been praying for me, and believe me, I needed it. <laughs> I'll take all the prayers I can get, right? Amen. Amen. Have you ever found treasure? Have you ever gone treasure hunting? I think I brought too many um, sermon illustrations this morning. <laughs> But you know, you can go sermon hunt, uh, treasure hunting along the beach, right? And you can find some really cool things. Let's see if I can find it. One of my treasures that I found, and I hope this doesn't freak anybody out, it was a dried up puffer fish. I just, I'm a bio nerd, okay? And, and I just love this. And this sits on my bookshelf next to my little dried bat that I have. <laughs> yes, I, I, I didn't bring that. A friend of mine found it in her closet in her boot. She was not happy. <laughs> I was very happy to get it. <laughs> um, about 11 years ago in Britain, a guy was doing his treasure hunting thing with a metal detector. He asked a farmer if he could go through the field, and this man discovered one of the largest caches of Saxon and um, Viking and Norse gold and jewelry ever discovered, worth millions of dollars. Um, wouldn't it be fun to find something like a cache of gold bullion or something? We also go treasure hunting at flea markets too, don't we? Sometimes I think flea markets and yard sales are the U.S.'s new Sunday religion. <laughs> Ever drive by the sweeter shops on a Sunday? That place, I get hives when I go in there. <laughs> Too, too, too much stuff. You know, sometimes also, we don't realize the treasure that we do have. When I was living in Pittsburgh in the late 70s, there was a garage sale, Squirrel Hill, one of the neighborhoods um, east of the city, and a man decided to go to his neighbor's garage sale, and on the wall in the garage, he noticed this oblong-shaped black thing. It was sort of carved, and but it was cruddy. It was filled with dirt and a dead plant, but it intrigued him. Paid 50 cents for it. 
He brought it home and he stuck it at his garage and forgot about it for a while. One day he was possible exchanging silver for his wife. And he thought, well, black, you know, silver. So he got this thing out and dumped the dirt out and washed it up. He started polishing it. Ten pounds of solid sterling silver carved as a old blast furnace. It turned out to be an old um, safety award for J&L Steel. Smithsonian Institute called it the finest example of silver model making they had ever seen, and they bought it from the guy for $250,000. He paid 50 cents for it. Do you know the treasures of your salvation? Have you grasped the treasures, the limitless, staggering treasures of your salvation in Jesus Christ? Because, you know, that's where the difference begins. It's when we recognize who we are in Christ and the treasure that he's given us that we are then free to spend ourselves for him because we know that we can't outspend the treasure that he's already given us brothers and sisters you and I have been called to make a difference we've been called and commanded to be salt and light to love our neighbor we've been commanded to go and witness to the whole world we've been commanded and commissioned to literally be in 1 Corinthians 5 2 Corinthians 5 it says, we are ambassadors for Christ. God literally makes his appeal to other people through you and me. And we can do that effectively when we know our treasure. What do you think of when you think of treasure? Treasures of your, uh, treasures of your salvation, sorry. What do you think of when you think of the treasures of your salvation? Forgiveness? Redemption? Reconciliation, justification, made alive in Christ. Let's read our passage for today. If I can find it. Well, I'll tell you a story about my printer last night. Do we have that? Okay. This is embarrassing. <laughs> it's First Peter chapter one. And I'm going to read one through six. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ to God's elect, exiles scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, 
to be obedient to know Jesus Christ and sprinkled by his blood. And here's the key several verses that I want us to focus on. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed at the last time. Please pray with me. Lord God, we claim the promise of your word that like good seed, it will never return to your void. Lord, we pray that the soil of our hearts and souls would be fertile ground. Lord, we pray that you would yield a harvest. Lord, we claim the promise of your Holy Spirit that he would be our teacher. So teach us what you want us to know. Have your way with us, we pray. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. First, I want us to see that God is the source of our salvation. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who in his mercy has given us and then the following. Friends, very specifically, the beginning, the source, the ground of our salvation is the mercy of Almighty God. Specifically, it says, he is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And whosoever should believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. In the very first two verses, he talks about election and the foreknowledge of God and that God has chosen us. We've been washed in the spirit and sprinkled by his blood. All of this is saying that God, the sovereign Lord of creation, the king of the cosmos from all eternity has a plan and a purpose to redeem fallen humanity back to himself. Like we sang in the song, who could imagine so great a mercy? What heart could fathom such boundless grace that God of ages stepped down from glory to wear my sin and bear my shame? So first, I want us to see the source and the author of salvation. Second, I want us to see the treasure of our new birth, that he has given us new birth. Here is the greatest, the most ultimate treasure of our salvation in all of the universe. All the other benefits of our salvation come from the fact that we have been born anew. You know, in human existence, in human life, is there anything more wonderful and exciting than the birth of a child? A number of you have experienced that in this past year, haven't we? There, we've got Bryson, and we've got 
uh, Roman, and we've got Leanna, and we've got Ryland. Quite a crew of new miracles in our midst. One time I got a phone call from the hospital. I had to leave the service, went out to the lobby, called the switchboard, and they said, uh, thank you for calling us back, Pastor John. Let me connect you with labor and delivery. I, I thought I was going to die right on the spot because calls like that are not fun. So I got connected to labor and delivery, and the nurse immediately said, oh, it's okay, it's okay, Pastor John. There's a couple that had a baby late last night, and they just want a chaplain to come in and bless the baby before they leave. I can do that. <laughs> I can do that. If you have trusted in Christ, you have been born anew. Let's look at some other texts that, that sort of fill that out. John 1. To all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. Jesus told Nicodemus, no one can see the heaven of the kingdom of God unless they are born again, literally born from above. And then he said a little bit later, I tell you the truth, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water of the spirit. Do not be surprised at me saying, you need to be born again, born from above. First Peter one twenty three, For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring work of God. Second Corinthians 5.17, the passage that calls us to be ambassadors, says that we're new creations. Titus 3.5, it's another passage that's rich about what it means to, to have salvation. The author says, God has saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he has poured out on richly. If you have trusted in Christ as your Savior and Lord, you have a new birth, a heavenly birth, You've been born from God himself. You've been born of God. And all the angels in heaven threw a baby shower. So it says that heaven, all of heaven rejoices when one sinner repents. I want to say something, um, and I want you to listen carefully to this. And this is for everybody at the sound of Pastor Tony's voice. <laughs> I had to do that. You don't need to know the precise date when you came to Christ. Some people do. Some people can remember the exact date when they first received Jesus as Lord and Savior. Some people don't. I happen to know exactly when. Six years old, two weeks before Halloween, I've been a very bad kid. I knew I needed to be forgiven. I'm going to read a quote from Billy Graham. Billy Graham knew when he'd become a Christian. He knew the date as a child. His wife, Ruth Graham, a lovely, strong Christian lady, 
didn't know the specific date. So here's what Billy Graham says. You see the same pattern in the Bible. Paul had a very decisive conversion experience on the road to Damascus. Jesus appeared to him, and from that moment on, he dedicated his life to Christ's service. Peter, on the other hand, wavered in his faith, and the Bible doesn't tell us exactly when he crossed the line and decisively committed his life to Jesus. The most important question for you, for anyone else, is this. Are you now trusting Christ alone for your salvation? Do you know that if you were to die tonight, you would awaken in Christ's presence? The Bible is very clear. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son does not have life. If you are trusting Christ, your salvation is confident and sustained. Another aspect of being born anew is from the Old Testament. In Ezekiel, looking forward to the prophecy, looking forward to Jesus' coming, Ezekiel said this, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will take out from you your heart of stone and I will give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. You know, we should have a spiritual stethoscope, shouldn't we? Wouldn't that be cool? To spiritual stethoscope, we could listen to our heart and hear the heartbeat of God. To hear the heartbeat of the Son and daughter of the king. That would be really, really cool. Paul speaks, another fleshing this out, Paul speaks also not only of rebirth, he speaks about our adoption as God's children. Romans 8. You do not receive the spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but rather you have received the spirit of adoption and by him, the spirit of adoption, we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if you are God's children, then you are heirs. Heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. Try to get a handle on this. This is really richness beyond our imagination. You have received a new birth. This is not a metaphor. This is not a picture. This is a real spiritual transaction that happened when you trusted in Christ. That you literally have gotten a heart transplant. God literally has put in his life in your heart, made you new, and adopted you forever as his beloved child. Listen to what Peter calls us a little later. First Peter 2. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. Now you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful life. A chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. Born anew. Born of God. Born from above. Reborn and washed by the Spirit. Adopted as God's children, God is now our Abba. We are co-heirs with Christ. I had a friend 
in seminary who uh, spent a year in Jerusalem. And he had a earth-shaking experience about Abba. He was in the marketplace one day, and a little four or five-year-old fell and skinned his knee really badly. And the kid got up crying and went running down to his father's stall, and what was he crying? Abba, Abba. That's the relationship that you and I have with the Father if we trusted in Christ. About being heirs, I was at a university camp on the Upper Peninsula of Michigan. At night, it's so dark you can't see your hands in front of your face. The stars, oh gosh. The stars are just, it's one of the best places east of the Mississippi to see the night sky. One night, the speaker ended by saying, he was talking about being heirs of Christ. He gave us all an assignment. On your way back to your cabin, and there weren't any lights around. We all had to, everybody had to have flashlights. When you go back to your cabin, I want you to stop and look at a, the stars, and I want you to point to one and say, that's mine. You are co-heirs with Christ. Jesus said, all that the Father has given me, I give to you. Pick out a star. It's yours. So I know not only want us to say, oh, treasures. I've got a treasure to show you. And this treasure is specifically for Nisa and um, Corey. It is a Heinz Ward jersey from the Pittsburgh Steelers. <laughs> yes, <laughs> I told you I'd get you. And it's actually signed by Heinz Ward. Uh, I splurged. I won't tell you how much I paid for it. <laughs> it was a fundraiser at a basketball basketball game for Suncom, which does a wonderful work with autistic kids. So, anyway, source of our salvation, the mercy of God. The treasure of salvation is our new birth. Thirdly, I want to see the treasure of our living hope. By the mercy of God, you have been born anew into a living hope. You know, hope, that's sort of an amorphous word, isn't it? I mean, hope could be wishful thinking. I hope we get some rain tomorrow. Hope could be a request. Um, I hope you do the dishes before I get home. Uh, Just wait, just wait. Hope can be a threat. I sure hope you put away the laundry before I get home. (laughs) Otherwise, you're going to be sleeping on the couch. (laughs) Hope can be sort of an idle prayer. I hope it's a nice day for our cookout. Hope can be a prayer of desperation. I sure hope I make it to the gas station in time. How many of you are um, running on e-junkies? Ah, <laughs> yes. Yep, yep. Uh, my one car, it had a 12-gallon gas tank, and I knew I was pushing it. But you know your car, right? 
So when I got 12-gallon gas tank, when I got gas, I got 11.94 gallons. Yeah. <laughs> the biblical view of hope is much deeper and stronger. In the Greek, the word hope means expectation, trust, confidence. It means to anticipate something that is sure. We have a living hope. We anticipate. We wait for something that is certain, sure. Because it's based upon God's promises. It's like traveling to your very vaca favorite vacation spot. You can say, oh, I hope, I hope we have, we hope we get to Hilton Head. We had um, friends who had a third row home at Sea Pines. And for four, five, six years, we would drive to Hilton Head. And it didn't matter what kind of trouble we might have had on the road. I mean, even making the mistake of stopping for breakfast at Waffle House. Are all Waffle Houses dirty? It doesn't this say is, it. This is sponsored to you by Waffle House. Yeah. <laughs> Don't speak bad about Waffle House again. <laughs> I got you. <laughs> but you know, regardless of what the trip might be like, you know that Hilton Head is still there. Hilton Head didn't go anywhere. That's what the Christian hope is like. Um, online, I asked people for some ideas about what they thought living hope meant. Someone said, animating, something that gives motivation and encouragement. It's not dry or speculative. Another person said, living hope to them meant the Holy Spirit, alive in us and pointing us to Jesus. Another person said it was a form of growing trust. It was alive and growing. It was a relationship of trust. Another person said it means that he understands what I'm going through and even if I'm in a bad place, I know where I'm going and where I belong. Matthew Henry in his commentary said this, and I love this. The hope of a Christian has this excellency. It is a living hope. The hope of eternal life in a true Christian is a hope that keeps him alive. It quickens him, supports him, conducts him to heaven. Hope invigorates and spirits up our soul to heaven. Hope leads us to patience, to fortitude, and to perseverance. We have a living hope. So we've seen the source of our salvation. We've seen the treasure of our new birth and adoption. We've seen the treasure of our living hope. Fourthly, I want us to see the champion of our salvation. What is the basis for our living hope? Actually, what is the basis for every treasure of our salvation. It is the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, 
our Lord. Jesus said to Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will never, who will live even though they die. Whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Did you hear that? If you trust in Christ and he's your living hope, then death isn't death for you. Death is simply a doorway to glory. That's a big deal, isn't it? All through the book of Acts, that was one of the things that kept getting the apostles in trouble. They kept talking about Jesus being raised from the dead. The leaders were greatly disturbed, Acts 4, because the apostles were teaching and proclaiming that Jesus was alive in the resurrection of Jesus. In Romans, it talks about his resurrection being what has appointed him to be the son of God in power. Um, I challenge you sometime to to read uh, 1 Corinthians 15. It's a long chapter, but it's Paul's treatise on the resurrection. Basically, Paul says this. Either Jesus rose from the dead or he didn't. If he didn't, then the Christian faith is nonsense. If Jesus did not rise from the dead, he said, you are foolish and still in your sin. But Jesus did rise from the dead. Christ, Paul writes, has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead also comes through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. Paul continues and says that Jesus' resurrection is our resurrection, that his new body is our new body. Just as we have borne the image of the earthly man, Paul writes, so we shall bear the image of the heavenly man. Brothers and sisters, our living hope is a person. His name is Jesus, and he's alive. Jesus has the victory. Jesus has the last word. Everything else that we face in life, and remember that Peter is writing to people who are being persecuted. A lot of the Christians that he's writing to were driven out of Jerusalem. They were refugees. They had to leave their homes. They left their possessions. They left their jobs. And Peter still says, you have a living hope because Jesus has the last word. I've read the last page of the book, friends, and I know who wins. Paul writes... Romans 8, 38 and 39, for I'm convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. What we sang in the song this morning, then came the morning that sealed the promise. Your buried body began to breathe Out of the silence, the roaring lion, 
declared, the grave has no claim on me. Jesus, yours is the victory. Hallelujah, praise the one who set me free. Hallelujah, death has lost its grip on me. You have broken every chain. There's salvation in your name. Jesus Christ, my living hope. The work is finished. The end is written. Jesus Christ, my living hope. The cross has spoken. I am forgiven. The King of Kings calls me his own beautiful Savior. I'm yours forever. Jesus Christ, my living hope. And for skeptics, or if you're talking to a person who is skeptical, there is plenty of historical evidence. We didn't have it up on the screen, but Google... MIT professor's essay on the resurrection. Several years ago, three MIT nuclear science professors wrote an essay about while they, as scientists, have total confidence in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Friends, you don't get any smarter than a nuclear engineer professor at MIT. If those professors trust in the historical reality of the resurrection of Christ, then I'm in good company. Lee Strobel's book, The Case for Christ. Um, there's a number of people that have done, let me put it this way. Any reasonably objective person who examines the evidence will become a Christian. Any reasonably objective person who's honest and examines the evidence, they will become a Christian. Lee Strobel was an atheist, a confirmed atheist, a lawyer, before he examined the evidence and gave his life to Christ. Fifthly, oh, another thing, a little bit about um, treasures. I'm not going to dig it in my bag. Have you ever handled treasure? Ever touched treasure? My grandparents lived in Australia for two years and they knew a opal and blue sapphire merchant. And I was visiting one time and this, this, their friend of theirs was in the United States to sell his jewels. And he went back to his, where we were staying and brought a little bag. We were sitting at a kitchen table and he dumped this little cloth bag out on the table. A half a million dollars worth of opals and blue sapphires. Whoa. And I got to play with them. <laughs> you know, I got to move a half a million dollars around with my finger. The one blue sapphire was uh, rectangular shape. It was already faceted. That one blue sapphire was worth eighty to ninety thousand dollars. Fifthly, I wanted to see the treasure of our secure inheritance. How am I doing time-wise? I'm doing okay. Um, my wife, I'm divorced, but my wife, she would always sit in the front row, and we came up with a signal when I was preaching too long. She would rub her nose. <laughs> So if I looked out and she was rubbing her nose, I knew I'd better wrap things up. Okay. The treasure, we have new birth into a living hope. Our living hope is the fact that Jesus Christ has risen from the dead. 
we also have a secure inheritance. You know, in this life, inheritances can be a little tricky, can't they? Estate taxes, real estate taxes, uh, probate, um, property transfer, lawyer fees, family feuds, the stock market roller coaster. It can be a little, a little crazy, can't it? I have a friend who collects those pretty um, blue Dalton and Dalton mint uh, plates. And she began collecting them years ago because she was confident they would increase in value. Well, that was before eBay hit. <laughs> you can, how many plates would you like on eBay? One of the best um, stories about inheritance, there was a little church in Lawrence County, Pennsylvania, where I first pastored. There was a neighboring little Presbyterian church, and an older lady in the church passed away, and she left her whole estate to the church, all of her possessions, her property, her money. So several folks in the church went to the house with a, an auctioneer to go through all the possessions. You know, sorting out what was valuable, wasn't what valuable. Up in the attic, they found this sort of Tiffany stained glass lamp. And, oh, it obviously can't be real. It's worth, you know, 20 bucks or whatever. One of the church members said, well, wait a minute. We don't know how long it's been here. We really should have this appraised. I drove it to an appraiser. Now, Tiffany lamp was in a real original Tiffany stained glass lamp. Again, worth over $200,000. That lamp was worth more than the whole rest of the state put together. Look at how our inheritance is described. Into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for you. The better words in Greek, we have an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. Imperishable means indestructible, incorruptible, immortal. Timothy even uses that word to describe God himself. First Timothy, you know the song, immortal, invisible, God only wise. It's the same word, undefiled means untainted, free from contamination, unstained. How many things can we say in our world that are unstained? Everything, you ought to see my clothes. Everything stains. Unfading means enduring. This thought came to my mind. You know, everything fades in the sunlight. Here's our inheritance. In heaven. Well, who's in heaven? It's Jesus Christ shining brighter than the sun. And yet our inheritance doesn't fade. Kept in heaven for you. The word kept there means to watch over, to guard, to reserve. Are you getting this? Not only is your inheritance perfect, pure, unfading, incorruptible, God keeps it. 
This is a wonderful passage to use, brothers and sisters, for Christians who are unsure of their salvation. Because I don't keep my salvation. He does. If I had to keep my salvation, if you had to keep, if you had to keep your salvation, keep it secure, my guess is that most, a lot of us wouldn't make it. He keeps it. And I am 100% confident of my home in heaven. And that's no being arrogant on my part. It has nothing to do with what I've done. It's because of what Jesus has done. Let's bring this home. How many of you, do you all have this? All of you should have this new birth certificate. Having trusted in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, believing in and receiving him as Savior and Lord, your name, put your name there, has been forgiven, justified, and born anew, born of God, by the washing and filling of the Holy Spirit, adopted, marked, and sealed as God's beloved child for all eternity. So let's go back to Billy Graham's recommendation. The most important question for you and for me is, are you sure? Are you sure? Are you sure that all of that treasure of your salvation belongs to you? Do you know without a shadow of a doubt that if you dropped over dead on your way out of this building, you'd go to be with the Lord in glory? God doesn't want you to have any doubts. All that he did, all that he keeps for you is your assurance. So I want us to spend a few moments in quiet. Read through that new birth certificate and ask yourself, am I sure of this? Let's just spend a few moments in quiet and then we'll pray together. It's a very simple prayer. I'd like you to pray out loud with me. Follow along as I pray. Say, Dear Lord Jesus, I trust that you died for me. Please forgive me of all of my sins. And dear Lord Jesus, I trust that you rose again for me. Please give me your gift of new and everlasting life. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Give me your new birth, I pray. And adopt me as your beloved child. And I'll give you the glory. In Jesus' name, amen.